0: I am indie fantasy author Melinda Cousera and welcome back to my podcast today we're doing something a little bit different we're talking to Matilda Zeller about mm-hmm. her book The Revenge of Bridget Cleary so let's hear what is the book about and we're also going to hear a reading from the book and then we'll talk about the, the lore behind it The we'll talk about Bridget Cleary who is between vengeance and love and loyalty as she navigates Victorian England, which sounds really interesting and we'll hear more about that. So, Hilda, take it away.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Miranda. Yes, The, the Revenge of Bridget Cleary is, uh, it chronicles the imagined aftermath of a real life murder in 1895 when Michael Cleary murdered his wife Bridget because he thought she was a fairy In my book, they have a daughter, and that daughter has been exiled from the fairy court in Ireland and cannot return to England until she has avenged her mother's death and stolen a lot of gold for the fairy. This novel is a story set very loosely around the actual murder of Bridget Cleary. When I say very loosely, I mean the protagonist is the fictional child of Bridget Cleary and also a fairy. I cannot stress enough that this is a work of fiction. For context, here's a very brief history of the actual tragedy of Bridget Cleary. Bridget Cleary was an exceptionally independent and enterprising woman noted for her beauty and abilities as a dressmaker and milliner. Though she had been married to her husband for eight years, they had no children. The house the Cleary's occupied was locally believed to be the site of a fairy ring fort. On the 15th of March, 1895, Bridget Cleary was murdered by her husband. Her murder was preceded by torture, including holding her over a fire, kneeling on her chest to force feed her bread and jam, dousing her with urine, and finally dousing her in kerosene to immolate her body. It is unclear whether she was alive when she was immolated. Michael Cleary was not the only abuser. At least nine people were charged in this crime, including Bridget's own father. The local priest refused to have Bridget buried in the churchyard, though his motives for this are unclear. The media used Bridget Cleary's murder to push the idea that the Irish were too superstitious and uncivilized for home rule, independence from Britain. Michael Cleary was sentenced to twenty years in prison, but only served fifteen before he was released. After his release from prison, he immigrated to Canada. Michael asserted that his true wife was not dead, but would one day return riding a white horse.
0: What is a fairy fairy fort? Fairy fairy ring? But what was the what is that? That you mentioned that that in the beginning of the historical note, before we go on to the reading, I just wanted to find out what that is.
1: Oh, yes. A fairy ring fort. That's <laughs> Yes. Yes. It is sacred ground inhabited by the fairies. I think, you know, like those mushroom circles and stuff.
0: Oh, okay. Because I was like, what is that? <laughs>
1: yes. Yes. And in fact, the house that they had been living in, a lot of people did not want to live there because of their concern about fairies.
0: What was the concern about, before we get into the first chapter, I want to better understand a little bit more about the historical thing that led off to this. So there's this fairy ring fort. Do they have special powers, or is that how the fairies come into our world? Or
1: Yeah, the, the fairy ring fort, you want to stay out of them because if you step inside them, you are going to be under the control of the fairies. Additionally, Bridget Cleary herself was known for going on walks in the woods in places where people believed fairies to be.
0: Oh, I see. And, I'm starting to see how her murder came about. I'm not justifying it. There's no justification obviously. But knowing some of this background it makes a little more sense why they would have needed to go to that extreme. That's pretty extreme the way they put her to death.
1: Yes. They believe that they were trying to perform some sort of exorcism or that she was a changeling, but yes, they wanted to drive out the fairies
0: before we go on to the reading one more question so if you go into the fairy ring fort and fairies have control of you do they just have control of you while you're in the fairy ring fort or what happens if you leave the fairy ring fort are you still under their control
1: that's a very good question i'm not sure
0: oh i'm just trying to understand like the hysteria and like what their fears were what their concerns. If they were afraid that fairies would then control you for like the rest of your life or for like a month afterwards or for some specified period of time where you might carry out the fairies wishes, that that's why they, like I said, I don't condone or justify what they did, but just trying to understand their mindset, like how you go from, oh, this is my neighbor who makes beautiful dresses and other things to let's put her to death in the most horrific way possible. How do you get from there to here?
1: I'm just kind of struggling to understand. Absolutely. I tend to take a more cynical approach She married Michael and very shortly after their marriage she moved back in with her parents and didn't really live with him until circumstances sort of forced it. And there was also rumors that she was having an affair and Michael himself frequently expressed Yes, exactly. Michael himself frequently expressed Insecurity, Like he felt like she was out of his league, like too attractive for him. And she was, she wasn't financially dependent on him. She was doing well on her own. Why'd they get
0: married then? Like, was it like an arranged thing or it doesn't sound like she needed him.
1: She became more independent after. Oh, okay.
0: Okay. So she got married. That was the thing you did in those days and then became, and that put a strain on things. I'm starting to get a clearer picture now.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. But the judge that heard the trial genuinely believed that Michael believed that she was a fairy. It sounds like he also might have been manipulated by some kind of snake oil salesman Uh situation where there are people in his life that were pushing the idea that she was a fairy to him while she was very sick with bronchitis. So, yes. Yeah,
0: and unable to defend herself and yikes. Yes. Thank you for that. Not that that condones nor explains nor justifies in any way, but at least we get a clearer picture of more of the circumstances. Does your book go into more about their relationship or does it focus mostly on the daughter? I think you said your book is about the fictional daughter that she had.
1: Yes, the book focuses on the aftermath of the murder through the fictional daughter, but Bridget Cleary's story is told through a series of flashbacks throughout the book to help give context and weight to what happened. So yeah.
0: Wow. Okay, let's get to chapter one now. <laughs>
1: now All that right. we fully
0: understand what we're diving into.
1: Yeah. All right. So Chapter One, in which our heroine commits an accidental theft. Damn this English country! Damn these heavy ashes! Damn da! Bridget cursed everything and everyone as she dragged the ash buckets down the dark stone steps. Everything was hotter, colder, sharper, and duller in this flesh, in this body of flesh and bones, than it had been as a fairy. Everything was lonelier too, despite her haunting mother's near constant presence. Hush now, her dead mother whispered, somewhere near her right ear. Is a good sight better than whoring or starving? It's a good sight worse than punishing him who took your life. As Bridget thought it, she felt the sharp injustice of it. She had been there, in the madness, when Mam was killed. It was likely that she helped spur on her mother's death. Even if she didn't mean any harm, the fairies knew what they were doing when they banished her. Still, she missed Ireland and her fairy mound with a pain that pricked down to the marrow. Stay focused, Mam said. You've got three years. There's plenty of time to steal what the fairies want and plenty of time to find him. Not even Mam could directly say it. Besides the stolen treasures, the fairies wanted blood to atone for her sins. Specifically, they wanted... her Herda's blood, spilled by Bridget's own hand. Bridget shuddered. The thought of even seeing that again made her heart curdle and dread. The thought of being close enough to drive a knife between his ribs, and I'm crying she didn't even want to think on it. Bridget knelt at the hearth in the young mistress's room and began shoveling the ashes of the nearly dead fire in the grate. Mam left as she had in the last three rooms. She didn't like fire, and for good reason. Bridget shuddered again, forcing herself through the motions of her task, packing down the violent memories. Bridget didn't like her work, but as Mam said... Building the fires in a big English house was better than whoring or starving and terrific for thieving the sorts of treasures the fairies would want. Having built a fire to a crackling blaze, she gathered her things and turned only to see Lady Adelaide standing before her. The young girl's eyes were fiercely bright, but not entirely conscious. The first rule of scullery was to be unseen. Bridget was good at being unseen, and this girl was not awake. If she could take a deep breath and hold quite still, the girl lurched forward, throwing herself onto Bridget, embracing her with all the ardor of a starving bear coming upon a honey swollen hive. The warmth, the feckin' heat coming off this girl, shocked Bridget's cold, untouched skin. It was the first human touch she'd known in a human body, and it overwhelmed her. Magic roiled up through Bridget as Adam. Adelaide's weight sent them thudding to the floor. She would have struggled. She would have disentangled herself and run, but she was stunned by both the iron embrace and the sheer quantity of magic running through her. It bound her in place, splitting open her mind, so Adelaide's thoughts and memories came rushing in, replete with stunning, vivid details. Boredom with the new governess. French, Latin, dancing, elocution, chess with papa, dancing, ch- sorry, chasing Edmund in the garden. Gentleness, kindness, love. The rancid smell of mama's sick room. The horrible color of Mamma's dead face after Mamma's funeral the terrifying pit of emptiness and pain lady adelaide let her go falling in on herself as she wept shaking bridget clambered to her feet and gathered her things slipping out to leave the girl to her liminal grief ma'am joined her in the hallway what happened in there you're white as a sheet i'm irish ma'am there's nothing i can do about that you've got a bruise coming on did she attack you bridget didn't answer Oh, magic. I feel it now, but it's thick and deep, ma'am gasped. You've taken the cro- poor girl's memories, Bridget, for shame. I didn't mean to. March right round and give them back. That's not what we came here to steal. Adelaide's memories were flowing through her consciousness like a river in August, warm and glittering, delicious new words, elegant mannerisms, light, comfort, and security. No. What do you mean, no? I don't know how I took them in the first place. You, the fairy queen, the whole court always said I had barely any magic in me. I don't have the first clue how I'd give them back. I'd probably explode her head right off her shoulders if I tried. Bridget was pre- prevaricating. What a lovely word. But it was also a sound argument. She didn't know how to control the magic that had just happened, and it scared her. Ma'am made a low brooding sound. This will only cause you grief, and bring grief to Lady Adelaide too. Bridget ought to have cared, but she couldn't bring herself to do so. The Memories were too delicious, too diverting. She kept to them, hoarded them, treasured them more than pearl earrings and emerald brooches she gathered from the forgotten corners of the house. Over the coming years, she would steal with abandon, but nothing, absolutely nothing compared to the things she acquired that day in Fortescue Manor. So, who is Adelaide? Adelaide is the young lady of the house. She's about 15 years old, and she's going to be important. <laughs> Oh, oh. why is she important? Is that a spoiler if you answer that? (laughs) Oh, so fairly early on in the book, Adelaide, there's something strange going on with Adelaide and her older brother Edmund cannot figure out what it is. And Edmund is very concerned. Adelaide and Edmund are living with their stepmother. Their father has died. Edmund is going to inherit the estate and Edmund is concerned about what's going on with her. He's worried that an uncouth man might be taking advantage of her or something weird is going on. It also might be magic related. And he ends up up hiring Bridget to spy on his sister and Bridget's relationship with Edmund and Adelaide both become quite a bit more complicated. Sounds
0: like it. So that's where we are in this scene. She's already been hired, or that hasn't happened yet?
1: With this scene, she hasn't been hired to spy on Adelaide. She's only been hired to work as a scullery maid in their house and got accosted by Adelaide and accidentally stole a lot of memories.
0: I thought that she'd been hired there. Okay, so that's...
1: sorry. One second. Okay, sorry. I I have six children, and...
0: Are they passing notes under the door?
1: (laughs) Yes, they are. That's that's exactly what this is.
0: So they sent you their demand?
1: Yes, yes. Whenever I do one of these things, there are always a few demands and a, a little bit of bribery involved. How old are the kids? The youngest is three and the oldest is 15. So preschool to high school.
0: Ouch, that's quite the spread.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of fun, but it's, it's very busy and it makes getting an uninterrupted hour a complicated undertaking.
0: I see as the note slid under the door shows. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: <laughs> Let's get back to The Revenge of Bridget Cleary. So why did you title it that? How is Bridget getting revenge from Beyond the Grave?
1: Well, I would tell you, but that is ah, definitely a, spoiler. a spoiler. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right. So we need to read the book to find out the answer to that question. Yeah. All right. So but, so Bridget Cleary is Bridget Cleary's daughter?
1: Yes okay which in retrospect I feel like was a questionable creative choice because it could be confusing
0: I thought maybe that was a thing in Ireland that if your name was because I know with my sister-in-law who's Russian there's the feminine ending the male ending and so if your dad is this your name could be something with either the feminine ending or the male and everything is very patronymic so I was wondering if maybe in Ireland things were metronymic because then that would explain the very similar name
1: yeah no I just liked the name Bridget and terribly similar to Bridget. Oh, okay. I learned about the history and the murder of Bridget Cleary while I was doing my own family history, which was a bit of a journey, I guess.
0: How did you stumble across Bridget's story while looking into your own family story?
1: I was trying to trace my great great grandfather's immigration from Ireland, and it led me to the little town in Tipperary where Bridget was murdered, and he was there. That is where he immigrated from and he immigrated very shortly after he was murdered, pretty close to the time that all of these people were getting indicted for their involvement in her mm. murder. So, was he
0: involved in any of that, or we'll never know?
1: That's exactly what I want to know. I have questions. At the very least, there is no way that he did not know what was going on. In fact, one of the lawyers' defense of Michael Cleary in the murder trial was that if he had actually been intending to murder his wife, he would wouldn't have left his house's door open while he was beating her. I mean, that's a strange defense. (laughs) It is a really strange defense. But it was the idea that the entire community knew what was going on and men beat their wives. And this was just a case of him accidentally taking things too far, which, I mean, I don't know. I I don't really think that's a very good argument when you end up setting your wife on fire. But um. Yeah,
0: I'm not sure how that just, wow. Did he leave the door open expecting the fairies or somebody
1: to stop him? That's a really good question. I am not sure. But there were nine people indicted besides him in her murder, including Bridget's own father. Who, who helped him with these things. And it's just really sad. And then there were a lot of people who, to various degrees, were aware of what was going on and did not stop. And that phenomenon did not do anything to stop him. And that phenomenon in general is just so sad. You know, kind of the collective cowardice that happens when something unspeakable is going on and people need your help and nobody steps up right so it shouldn't
0: be that way but that's why we write we write to correct those wrongs to give people a place where people do step up where those things don't happen or you know if we're writing dark stories we just let them happen and have nobody step in (laughs) all depending on where you fall on the spectrum i think that's a large reason why a lot of us write fantasy stories because you can you can correct that
1: Yes, absolutely. And that is definitely one of the driving forces behind me writing this book was that desire to give Bridget Cleary some sort of restorative justice for the grievous injustices that were, you know, brought upon her.
0: Yeah, there's nothing she could have done to have deserved anything like that.
1: Yes. Even if she was cheating on him with the milkman, that does not justify torturing her and setting her on fire. Like, no, no, God, no, God, (laughs) Right? So... We write stories to right wrongs,
0: and also teach people: hey, if something bad is going on, giving people examples of other people stepping up and stopping it. Hopefully, we are showing people that you shouldn't stand by and let these things happen. That the right thing to do is to go in and do something.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree. This I whole I conversation... believe that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so I'm on the wavelength with you, but I do want to go back to you. That's something kind of fascinating earlier not that all of this isn't fascinating because it is i didn't know any of this before coming into this and i'm really grateful that you signed up for this so we could talk about this there was something about bridget needing the blood of her father like what is that about oh the
1: the fairies want a blood atonement for the murder of Bridget, they are very angry, and they want her to kill her father and bleed him out. It's so they awesome. just
0: gave her this ultimatum, and it sounds like she can't go back to the fairy realm unless she does this one thing for them.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And with fairies, I don't know if it's true in your book, but with many fairy stories, there's often like, you do this thing for them, and you're expecting to get something, but what you get is not always what you thought. Absolutely. Promising. There's always yes. some kind of price or, or twist.
1: There's always a a catch, a twist, a complication whenever you have any kind of interaction with fairies, right? So
0: that holds true in your version of Victorian England.
1: Yes, absolutely. You can't trust fairies, right? Right. Uh, Even when they have been done wrong by, you still can't fully trust them because they are always going to have their own angle that they're working, right?
0: That's true. That's true. So we'll have to read The Revenge of Bridget Cleary to find out what that price or that catch is. Bridget, if she does this thing. Yes. And if she does the thing, we don't know if she's going to kill her father and bleed him out to appease the fairies. So you have to read to find out that as well. We're not going to discuss that here. (laughs) That's a big spoiler.
1: Yes, absolutely. And when you are a relatively young person who doesn't really have much experience with violence, except for maybe witnessing the horrific murder of your mother, you might feel somewhat conflicted about killing someone, even if they deserve it, right? (laughs)
0: Yeah, was he a good father to her? Because that could... Okay.
1: Well, I mean, that's complicated.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. Is that a spoiler that we can't discuss? (laughs) Yes. Okay, we're backing away from that. So let's talk more about the fairies then. Do we see them or is it very grounded in the human side of this story? It is fantasy, but there's a whole spectrum where you can have lots of magic and fairy creatures or less magic and fairy creatures where they're kind of more background. Where does the Revenge of Bridget Clary fall?
1: This one falls more on the left, you see less of the fairies, and it's more bits and pieces and hints of things coming together about the fairy world and about human interaction with it. She also ends up very early on getting commissioned to model for a pre-Raphaelite painter, and I don't know if you're very familiar with the pre-Raphaelite art movement, but... They painted a lot of fairies and witches and goddesses, and they always used these very thin, pale, waifish, dark-eyed, not always pale. I mean, they actually were definitely women of color in the pre-Raphaelite movement, but There's this look that people associate with the pre-Raphaelite art movement. There's a lot of Ophélias and Berdem sans Merci, these witchy fairy creatures or mermaids that seduce unsuspecting young men or drag them off into the woods or whatever. The idea here is that perhaps the pre-Raphaelite brotherhood and these men who made these paintings could recognize women and girls who were in fact fairies or somewhat supernatural. And those are the people that would figure out how to entice or coerce to modeling for them and another thing that plays into this book is with the pre-Raphaelite art movement and the pre-Raphaelite brotherhood that made these paintings they ended up taking horrible advantage of a lot of the women and girls that modeled for Ooh. them
0: so is Bridget gonna get revenge for them too maybe
1: yes yes when she falls in with other somewhat fake pre-Raphaelite art model people, they uncover more injustices in the human world against fairies. And of course, those need to be rectified as well.
0: Is she going to find out about injustices that were done on the fairy side to humans and have to deal with that? Or we're not doing that in this book?
1: Yeah, that can be go. kind of
0: fascinating, otherwise the fairies seem like the good
1: guys. Well, I mean, fairies are always morally gray, but that doesn't mean you can't do them wrong, right? Right, and, right. And, and when you do do them wrong, they don't tend to be very forgiving.
0: <laughs> right. But if all the humans that she's finding out about are bad, and the fairies are just asking for revenge for her mother, they start to seem good to her and that can lead her into a lot of
1: trouble absolutely it can it definitely can and not to give away anything in the book but some of the things that you know happen to women and girls that did model for pre raphaelites a milder example is i don't know if you've seen that painting of ophelia kind of like floating in a river surrounded by like water lilies and stuff yes. and she's got like her super long hair and it's ambiguous whether she's dead that painting the artist hired a you know, a lower class working girl to pose by floating in that dress in a bathtub in the middle of winter. Oh God, that must And be cold. he kept candles burning under the bathtub, but she still ended up getting hypothermia because he was forcing her to stay in this cold bath fully clothed for long periods of time so that he could paint her to make that painting. I think her father ended up suing him, but I'm not sure. Can't remember what the what the outcome of that was. And that's a milder example of what happened to them. On the more extreme end of things, they became the artist lovers. They got addicted to absinthe and laudanum, um, lost babies that they got pregnant with in connection to these addictions, committed suicide. Just all kinds of really horrible things happen to them. So I also wanted to bring in some of those actual real life injustices and find ways to I've got another one <laughs> ways to make it more just and fair for these women and girls as well
0: wow so there's a lot of history infused in this So it sounds like your victorian england in this book is pretty close to the real one
1: yeah it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun to research and you learn a lot there's so many times when i hated myself for deciding to write a historical novel because every time you sit down to write, there's something else that you have to figure out.
0: Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. But
1: it was still a lot of fun. And sorry, one second.
0: It was kind of cute. We (laughs) had the note, then we have them come in. No, that's fine. It's just like the the plot is building at the end of the podcast. (laughs) They're going to come and just yank you off camera. (laughs) Building to like the full invasion of the children.
1: <laughs> right. Eventually, they will stage a revolution and you will see the full force of their power.
0: I think it kind of plays into the whole fantasy thing, too. And it's, it's kind of cute. Like we had a lot of <laughs> darkness and now we have this sort of cute interplay with you and your kids. I don't want to leave it if you don't mind. I think that's the fun of like these sorts of podcasts is that they're freer and relaxed and they hear us with our, well, our hair deck, so to speak, you know, in a more natural way. Yeah. They-
1: no, absolutely. Absolutely. And they're part of your life. They really are. You're an integral part of my life, for sure.
0: So we've talked about the pre-Raphaelites. We've talked about Victorian England. We've talked about the fairies. We've talked about Bridget Clary and, and Brigid. So is there any other like fantasy elements or mythological details or anything else you want to talk about the lore behind the book in, in your Victorian England world?
1: A lot of writers like to make mood boards or Pinterest boards for their work, and (laughs) I am no exception, but I grew up absolutely in love with the poetry of William Butler Yeats and the paintings of the pre-Raphaelites, the Rossettis and Waterhouse and, you know, all of these people. And those poems and pieces of art just tie very tightly into the entire book, and it's a lot of fun, especially if you have some sort of familiarity with the aesthetics of the time. I guess
0: I do know Yates. I think if I just googled the pre-Raphaelites, I think I have seen them. But it's 8:46 on a work night, so my brain is a bit fried.
1: <laughs> no, no, absolutely, and yeah, mine too. Definitely, mine too. Is
0: there anything else you want to say about the Vengeance of Clary? Is there going to be a sequel, or is this a standalone?
1: I've been debating that for a long time. And technically, The Beeking, which released this month, which is my second novel, is. A companion novel to oh. The Revenge of Bridget Cleary. One of the supporting characters in The Revenge of Bridget Cleary is also a supporting character in The Bee King, but The Bee King takes place about 20 years later in the Roaring Twenties in the United States.
0: Oh, yes. Is there are fairies and magic in there, or yes. is this more historical? Oh, are we headed towards the fantasy side of the spectrum? Yes.
1: It's definitely still. Dark with fairies, well, fairies is a different mythos because the bee king deals in, what if there was a race of bees that are like bees, but they're also sentient and their honey can give you special abilities. I don't know if you're familiar with beekeeping, but um, bee society is a little bit horrifying. I
0: know there's a the queen, there's the two males and everybody else is a drone.
1: Yes, yes, there's a queen. When bees want to replace their queen... If she's getting old and she's not laying as many eggs or something, a couple of worker bees who are tending the larva will pick one baby and they will continue feeding it royal jelly, way more royal jelly than anyone else. And that will create a female that has much more defined sexual attributes, is capable of reproduction, right? Because all the workers are technically female, but only the queen can reproduce. And when that baby is born, the first thing she has to do is have a fight to death with the queen. And Then after that, she has to go and reproduce. And the drones do not survive that. If you're a drone and you get to be a baby daddy with the queen, you're going to die in the process. The plot of that more follows. What if there is a magical beehive with a large sentient anthropomorphic queen oh. and the man controlling this beehive through the honey he gets from it controls the wealth of the empire but he needs to requeen his hive he needs a new bee queen, and he's going to take a human girl and try to make that work
0: <laughs> oh wow Yes. That's got to be slightly horrifying <laughs> yeah
1: And it is a bit of a genre shift. I really feel like I owe so many people an apology because a lot of people who enjoyed The Revenge of Bridget Cleary did not like The V-King because it's horror as opposed to dark fantasy. And so I think they came in expecting something that was a little bit more in the same genre. So if you are that. a reader, you should definitely be aware that one is dark fantasy and one is horror. And there is definitely a difference.
0: You said The Revenge of Bridget Cleary was a lot of research with the bee king being horror was there less research involved in that
1: yes there was definitely less research involved in the bee king there was definitely still quite a bit i grew up tending beehives there's still things i had to double check on biology and life in the 1920s
0: are you going to continue on the horror trail
1: that is an excellent question i am starting to get things together for my next book and i think it will be dark fantasy it might end up veering into horror because so it sounds that- like
0: you're gonna walk that line yeah <laughs> in between yeah. them and you might sometimes fall on the horror side sometimes in the dark fantasy side there is a line and some people are really good at riding the line and some people are back and forth every other book <laughs>
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. And I'm worried because I think I might be one of those people that has a more difficult time sticking to genre.
0: I think because dark fantasy and horror share some things, they do share something. There are some things that they don't have in common, like horror takes things to an extreme that dark fantasy doesn't, but there are extremes with horror. Horror is part of fantasy. Some people like to say it's its own separate thing, but horror really is like the far end of the fantasy genre. (laughs) Yeah. Very dark. You up in horror.
1: Yes, and it's fascinating to see where the readership and writers overlap and don't. That's also been a great education. It's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed writing both books. And I have a short story coming out with a with an anthology of indigenous horror oh, okay. from Penguin Random House this fall. So for anyone who likes horror, that one's going to be a lot of fun, I think.
0: Oh, cool. All right. So we'll have to check back about that later. Um, Yeah. And I'll put in the show notes links to the Revenge of Richard Clary, links to follow and interact with Matilda Zeller, as well as the link for the Bee King, because you're going to send it to me so I can put it in there. (laughs) That sounds really interesting with the bees. And of course, there's all my links and stuff in there. But And we're going to be wrapping this up in a few minutes as we're getting close to the hour that we've been on here. <laughs> I don't think the podcast was a full hour, but we've been in the recording room for an hour. <laughs> yeah. We want to end before the stampede of children. <laughs>
1: yes. Yes. So. But they are growing restless. So we had better do that.
0: yes i can feel the restlessness through the screen so any closing remarks anything else you want to say about the bee king or the revenge of Bridget Cleary or anything else you want readers to know about you or your books or where to find you i will have everything in the show notes
1: yeah no just thank you melinda so much for having me on here this was a lot of fun and it's really a privilege to talk to you it was
0: interesting you can come back anytime I have an open door policy on my newsletter and and the podcast people can come back
1: wonderful as long as we talk about
0: something a little bit different so we're not covering the same ground that's my only stipulation other than that
1: yeah oh wonderful thank you so so much this was was a lot of fun sure (laughs) sure and now you know the drill
0: (laughs) And we're going to close out the podcast. Thank you, Ms. Thilda Zeller. And again, I am Melinda Cusera. Thank you so much for joining me for this interview. And there's going to be quite a lot of interviews coming up with authors who are part of the self-publishing fantasy blog off number nine, and I also entered that competition. I entered Chris Breaker Enchanted, which I've been reading on this channel, and I will get back to that. I promise. But I wanted to interview some of my fellow entrants. Only 300 books can enter the self-publishing fantasy blog off, and there will be, I think, 10 semifinalists, and then there will be one winner. But it's really about making people aware of self-publishing fantasy books and the authors who write them. So I've decided to try and interview as many of them as I can so you can get to know them and their books. And also, I hope you're cheering on my book from the sidelines. Curse Baker and is free again in celebration of the self-publishing fantasy blog-off, and you can grab that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, all the places. I will have a link in the show notes, as always. And if you want to read the next Curse Baker book before it comes out, that is the 10th book in the series if you've forgotten, and that book is called Shards for His Gift, then you should head on over to my Patreon. I'll have that link in the show notes as well, where at every single level you get access to read it. And I am currently writing the last few chapters, so there's a lot to read on that. And I will start writing the next book in the queue probably next week. I'm trying to finish up the 10th book this week so that we can start getting the editing organized. So that's going to be a wrap. See you next time. Have a great night or day, wherever you happen to be listening.